You are listening to the Grace Covenant Church Audio Podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles, if you would look with me to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 12 is where we're at this morning. Easy to find Matthew, Mark. We're continuing on in this culture shock series. We began actually two weeks ago. So you might want to go back if you've not been here and, and check out the podcast. Last week we talked about sex. Uh, interesting topic. Um, actually, the topic today is a little bit harder. We're going to talk about politics today. I'd rather talk about sex than politics if you're wondering. <laughs> Uh, if I had my uh, druthers, uh, but we are going to talk about politics today. But the, the Sunday, the first Sunday, as we kicked the series off, we talked about the how. How do we address these divisive issues, uh, these issues that generate conflict in the marketplace, in the break room, in your schools? I mean, these are, uh, these are challenging topics. How do we address those? And um, we talked about the model of Jesus. John 1.14 says that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. See, I happen to believe that we can disagree without being disagreeable. That we can have healthy conversation without being attacking. And through that, uh, you know, a little iron sharpening iron, we all become better in the process. So as we're addressing these divisive issues, again, the model we are, we're following is the model of Jesus himself who was full of grace and full of truth. But today we are talking about the issue of politics and government. What's, what's the role of the church as it relates to politics? What's the role of individual believers in relation to politics and, and government? Now, let me say before I get started this morning, um, I'm not promoting a Republican platform, nor am I promoting a, a Democrat platform. So if I happen to say something and you might think, well, that's slanted toward this party, therefore pastor must be this, you're wrong. Uh, my hope today is that I don't represent the Republican Party or the Democrat Party, but that I properly and adequately represent Jesus Christ and the truth of his word. That is my goal today. And so hopefully I will hit that mark as we, uh, as we look to it. But you know, as we talk about Politics. Wow, if you want to just stir up the pot, uh, just bring up political issues. I mean, even in our little volunteer room, we have a volunteer room where, where people in between services, during services, they go get a snack, some coffee. And uh, it's amazing, even in that volunteer room, a couple times I've stuck my head in, then I've stepped right back out because they were talking about political stuff and it was like heated here at the church. Imagine that. Um, you know, it's, it's oftentimes... Um, gets contentious when we deal with these issues and you know it's kind of like you want to be careful what you say and you want to be careful what you represent uh, matter of fact so much so when I was uh, up early this morning getting dressed for the day I went into my closet and first thing I pulled off the rack was a red shirt and I thought oh my goodness I can't wear that because people will think I'm making a statement about the Republicans and I put the red shirt up and I pulled a blue shirt off and I thought well I can't wear that because people will think well I'm I'm Democrat, and so I just I found a white shirt, and I thought, man, that's as neutral as you can get, and I'll, <laughs> I'll take that position. Uh, because again, we're, we're quick to draw lines, and we're, we're quick to become defensive as it relates to um, issues uh, about our government. But I think the good news is, I think we can all celebrate this this morning, is that we are blessed to live in a nation where we can voice our opinion, we can cast a vote, and we can be a part of the political process. Amen? 
You know, there's nations around the world where individuals don't have that freedom. And I think oftentimes we take that freedom for granted. Again, what privilege do you have? As a citizen of the United States of America, you have the privilege of casting a vote. You have a privilege of engaging in the political process. You have the privilege of standing up and allowing your voice to be heard. And so for that, I'm grateful to God for the ordering of the forefathers of our nation who established the form of government that we have in our nation. Is it perfect? No, it's not perfect because there's people in the process that's like you. They're messed up. And because they're messed up, they bring messed up government. Um, but we do live in a land where we, where we have that freedom. Yet, even in the midst of that freedom, oftentimes when it comes to politics and government, there's, there's uh, conflict and chaos. There's a funny story about three individuals, a surgeon, an engineer, and a politician, and they were in, in discussion about which profession was the oldest. And the surgeon piped up and said, well, you know, Eve was formed out of Adam's rib. That's a surgical process, obviously. Obviously, um, you know, being a surgeon, that's the oldest profession known to man. And the engineer countered with this. He says, you know, um, there was order created out of chaos before Adam and Eve, order created out of chaos. Therefore, that's an engineering process. I would submit that, that my profession is the oldest. And then it was the politician who piped up and said, yeah, but who do you think created the chaos? <laughs> happens doesn't it when it relates to politics well I have my frustrations and I'm sure you have your frustrations in relation to politics and I think together we're a group of frustrated people but when it comes to the church and politics we have we have many different perspectives that can generate division and strife in the church and I think the big question is what's the role and the purpose of the church in politics how do those two fit together? Now, there's two polar opposite positions. And I'm going to give you the two polar opposite positions. And then individuals kind of fall somewhere and positions in between. But here's the two polar opposite positions in the church today. It's first, the first uh, position is what I would call the separatist. Individuals in the church who identify themselves as separatists. And basically what they would say is there's, there's no place in the church for politics. That we should not in any way engage in the political process. That's not the role in the process of the church. If you would happen to be a separatist, you're wondering, why in the world did I get up this morning to come hear this message? I mean, like, we shouldn't even be talking about this in the church today. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum is what I would call the activist. The premise of the activist is how can you love God and not take a stand on political issues in the church? They believe that the church is a tool in the hand of God to turn secular culture back to Him. So that the church must address the issues. The church must take a stand. The church must um, um, combined um, allow our voice to be heard. So we have the separatist and the activist. Now, I'm not promoting either one of these positions. I'm just trying to paint the picture of why we have at times such strife in the church in relation to this issue of politics and government. Now, at the end of the day, you have your opinions. I have my opinions. We all have opinions. But what's really important is that we would know what the truth of God's Word says, right? It's that that holds the value. Um, I respect your opinion, but when it comes to your opinion or God's Word, I'm always going to take God's Word. So let's look, let's look at what Jesus had to say about government and politics. There's a story that plays out, and from it I think we can gain some insight. Because again, Jesus is our model, right? 
So let's look at what Jesus had to say as he's caught in a contentious situation in a political conversation. Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. It says, later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? So this is, would you agree with me? This is a political question, right? They're pressing Jesus to Jesus. Should we pay taxes to support the government? Notice what he says, but Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. So, so here we have the Pharisees and the Herodians trying to trick and trap Jesus and they're using a political question. They're pressing him about taxes and whether they should support the process of the government. Now, the the setting here, I believe, is quite contentious and heated. I mean, it's very clear the Scripture says they're trying to trap Jesus, um, and they're using, again, the political process. And it's interesting to me that it's two groups that are, like, so far separated, the Pharisees and the Herodians. I mean, you couldn't find two groups more separated as it comes to, like, one is really conservative, one's really liberal. Uh, one is like uh, all about government. One of the other groups is not about government, but they have a common problem. And the common problem happens to be Jesus. And Jesus is threatening their power control. And therefore, they're like joining forces to try to trap Jesus to remove what they believe is the problem. And in the midst of this, Jesus, um, I believe, gives us some insight as to how we can engage in the political process. First, if you look at the text, Jesus did not engage in the potential debate. In other words, he doesn't kind of like go tit for tat. He doesn't begin to debate them about the government or issues of government. But what he does is he goes right to the heart of the issue. If you look back to the text, he asked to see a denarius. Now, a denarius was like a coin of the day. I mean, something like the quarter that you have has image on it, has an image imprinted on it. That was the same with denarius. So Jesus asked for a denarius, the coin of the day, and as he's holding the coin, he asked them this question, whose inscription is on it? Whose image does it bear? And they say, obviously, it's, it's Caesar's. Then Jesus says something I think pretty profound. This is what he says. He says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And God, what is God's? In essence, this is what Jesus was saying. He says, give unto the government what belongs to the government. Give unto Caesar what is his. I mean, this coin is made in his image. Give it unto him. But then he says, give unto God what is God's. In other words, he's saying, whose image are you made in? Saying the coin's made in the image of Caesar. Give it to Caesar. Support the government. He says, here's the more important question. Whose image are you created? And they would have, they would have quickly tied that back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, where the scripture says that we're made in the image and likeness of God. And in essence, Jesus was saying, give of, give of what is the world to the world system to support the system. But don't ever forget that you are created in the image and likeness of God. And that is your first responsibility. And that is your first allegiance. Give unto God that which is God. So Jesus addresses the heart of the issue. And I think in this statement, Jesus challenges us 
Now, honor the process of the government while honoring God. In other words, Jesus didn't like attack the government of the day. He didn't throw rocks at the government of the day. He didn't talk about all the injustice that would have been happening in the government of the day. I believe he challenges us to honor the process of government while we are honoring God. In other words, we need to engage in the political process. We need to bring the presence of Christ into the political process. As we're honoring God, we're engaging in the, in the political process. Now, basically, Jesus states here to, that we're to be faithful to God and faithful to his kingdom. This is our first calling and our first responsibility. Should we be faithful, participating, responsible citizens in our country? Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe, I believe every one of us have that responsibility to be faithful, participating citizens in the process of government in our country. But understand, our first responsibility is to that of God and God's kingdom. Because listen, this world we're living in and this process of government we're under today, one of these days it's going to pass away. One of these days it's going to come to an end. But the kingdom of God goes on forever. Forever. So, so Jesus is saying here, give unto God what is God. Be faithful to God and his kingdom. Now, there's, as I said, there's certainly times that politics creates this chaos and conflict, even with the words, I mean, even in this interaction that Jesus is having here with the Pharisees and the Herodians, we see that playing out. So as, as we're addressing this issue, how can we, how can we navigate through the maze of church and, and, and politic conflict? I mean, it's not like we can look to First Politics 1-9 and get one verse that tells us exactly what to do. We wish there was such, but there's not. If you're wondering, there's not a book called First Politics. So don't go looking for it because it, it's not there. But oftentimes we would like that, um, but it's not as easily defined in Scripture. However, I do believe in Scripture that there's four biblical absolutes. That gives us a foundation from which we can work from as we're talking about church and politics. So let me just give you these these four biblical absolutes really quick. The first is this, is that there's two kingdoms today that are in conflict. Two kingdoms in conflict. We see this playing out in Jesus' conversation with Pilate. When Jesus was on trial before Pilate, John chapter 18 records this. Jesus basically says... Uh, I'm here to establish a kingdom. And my kingdom is not of this world. Basically, Jesus was saying, I've come on assignment from the Father to defeat death, to overthrow the very strategy of hell, and I've come to establish the kingdom of God here on this planet, through the cross. And so today, we have the kingdom of God, and we have what I would call the kingdom of the world. And if if you haven't figured it out yet, these two kingdoms are in conflict. And because they're in conflict, it's like light and dark, they're in conflict. And because they're in conflict, we're in conflict, right? Why? Because we're living in two kingdoms. Matter of fact, that's the second biblical truth. You and I are dual citizens. We hold dual citizenship. You're both a citizen of the United States of America and a citizen of God's kingdom at the same time. What do you have? You have dual citizenship. And it's important for us to understand that the citizenship we hold in the United States of America one day is going to come to an end. Why is that? Because one of these days, unless Jesus comes back, this is what I know, you're going to die. 
And when you die, that's the end of your participation in government in this world as we know it today. But it's not the end of you. The part of you that's the real you is going to live on forever in the kingdom of God. But it's there that you have citizenship. So we're citizens of this world, but we're also citizens of heaven. Paul says it like this, Philippians 3.20. Paul wrote, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So every believer, if you're a follower of Christ, you have dual citizenship. So what's our role in this dual citizenship? So we're followers of Christ. We're citizens of the United States of America. What is the process of of human government? I believe the role of human government as defined by God is this. It's to restrain evil in our world today. Scripture is very clear about this. To restrain evil. Uh, Look with me. Hold your finger there in the Gospel of Mark. Look with me to Romans chapter 13. As Paul was writing this letter to the believers in Rome, understand that the government in Rome in this day, in this time, was evil. It was unjust. It was unlike anything we've ever known as a nation. Talking about wickedness, talking about power plays, talking about injustice. It was happening in the government and Rome. And Paul's writing to Christian believers under that form of government. I want you to listen to what he says. Verse 1, Romans 13 so it says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Now, let me stop here for a minute. What do you think the word everyone means? Everyone probably means like everyone in the room today. Would you agree with me? So everyone means every single one, which would include us. So this, we could say that this, this passage of Scripture, though written to the Roman Christians, really applies to us today. Would you agree with that? Are we all on the same page? Notice what he says. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you'll be commended. Notice verse 4. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment to the wrongdoer. Now, there are several things Paul says here. First, he says that government and authority is established by God. Now, that doesn't mean that all government is good. How many of you know uh, that government can be bad? All we have to do is have wrong people in places of authority and evil can prevail. Or we can have right people in places of authority and good things happen. But the scripture clearly says that government was God's idea. He has ordained government. And the scripture goes on in verse 4 to say twice that those in authority are God's servants. God's servants carrying out that of God's agenda. So what is the role then of government? The scripture says to to hold back evil. I mean, that's the role of government. Listen, government cannot change human heart. Right? Listen, you cannot legislate morality. So we can't get to the transformation of a human heart through the process of government. So what's the role of the government? According to Paul, the role of the government is to restrain evil in our world today. And again, 
ordained by God for that of his purpose. So if that's the role of the government is to restrain evil, what's the role of the church today? The role of the church today is this, to make disciples. To make disciples. The role of the church is not to uh, transform government. Now, again, should we participate in government? Should we be faithful citizens bringing the presence of Christ into the reality of politics today? I would say absolutely yes. But the first role and responsibility of the church is not to reform government. The first role and responsibility of the church, Jesus said, Matthew 28, 19, is to make disciples. Before he left, this is what he said, All authority has been given to me, therefore I charge you with this. Go and make disciples. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus said, go and make disciples who are going to live out the love and life of Jesus in such a way that it impacts the world. He says, that's the way you'll make a difference. Now again, I'm not saying that we should not engage in the process of government. Again, I think we have a responsibility to bring the presence of Christ in the government. But the first role and responsibility of the church is not to transform government. It's to make disciples who are living out the love of Jesus that in in turns impacting the process of government in our land today. So as believers in Jesus Christ, we live in two kingdoms that are in conflict. We have a dual citizenship. We have a government whose role is to, um, to hold back evil and then the role of the church is to make disciples. So how do, we, how do we live out our responsibility? I think that becomes the big question. For me, the big question is, is, God, what do you want from me? God, what is my responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ in relation to politics today, in relation to our government today? So as I wrap this up, uh, let me leave you with, with three points of responsibility. When we think about you as a believer in government, you as a believer in politics, What's God going to hold you accountable for as a citizen of the United States of America? I think first our responsibility is this. We need to embrace our calling as a priest or to embrace our role as a priest. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you, if you would say today, I've accepted Christ as my Savior, the Scripture clearly says that you are a priest. Or for the females, you're a priestess. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. P- Peter makes this so clear. This is how I read what he wrote. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. So what we're, according to this verse, we're all priests. Matter of fact, turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you're a priest. Go ahead and tell them. So if we are priests, what is the role and responsibility of a priest? If we go back to the Old Testament, the role of the priest was one of their first responsibilities was to represent people to God. They were, if you will, they were the ones who stood in the gap on behalf of the nation of Israel. The priest was their spiritual responsibility to represent people to God. To bring people who were broken and dysfunctional and hurting and sinful to represent them to a righteous God. And I think that's our, that's our first call. And what's the responsibility of a believer in the process of politics today? You need to embrace your role as a priest. To intercede. To pray. To pray for those in our government process. To pray for uh, the, whole, the whole political process playing out today. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. You can check it out later. But Paul here clearly says 
that we should pray for those in authority over us. That we should lift them up. We should cover them in prayer. I, I often ponder this thought, and I don't know the answer to this thought, but I, I ponder this question. What might happen in the process of our government today in the United States of America if we, the church, would pray more and whine less? What might happen in the process of government in our land today if we would pray instead of grumbling? You know, there's a powerful scripture in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Where God says, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. He says, then I'll forgive their sin and then I'll heal their land. Very clear. If my people, that's us, called by my name, will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways and pray. God says he would heal our land. So what's our first responsibility? I believe it's this, that we need to embrace our calling as a priest. You are a priest standing in the gap on behalf of our nation. Our spiritual responsibility. I think secondly, we need to embrace our role as the prophet. So embrace our role as the priest, embrace our role as the prophet. In the book of Jeremiah... The first chapter, God is calling Jeremiah, who was a common individual just like us, he's calling Jeremiah to the role of a prophet, a prophet to a nation that's turned away from God, a prophet to a nation that had rebelled against God. And, and so as God's calling Jeremiah, let me read this verse, it says it best, verse 10. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Now if you read the whole chapter, chapter 1, Jeremiah was overwhelmed. I think he probably felt like we feel at times. Overwhelmed. God says, I want you to be a prophet. I want you to be my voice to a nation that's turned away from me. And we would hear that call and we would say, wow, I don't know if I can do that. That's exactly what Jeremiah said. So that's overwhelming. God, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can do that. Yet we find that God enabled Jeremiah to be a voice of truth to a nation that had turned away from God. I would submit to you this morning that God's calling you. He's calling me. He's calling the church to embrace our role as a prophet. What does a prophet do? A prophet does this. A prophet speaks truth. A prophet is one who's willing to confront wrong and to bring truth into the situation. Now, should we do that graciously? Absolutely. Should we do it courageously? Absolutely. What? It's the role of the prophet to proclaim truth. Listen, as the church, as followers of Christ, we cannot just stick our head in the sand and just kind of let it go on and think, wow, it's somebody else's responsibility. No, it's your responsibility to stand up and boldly speak the truth of God's Word. Now, listen, you can only speak the truth of God's Word if you know the truth of God's Word. You can't speak with biblical conviction if you don't have biblical truth to guide the very process of your words. One of the things that I've noticed in the church today, the body of Christ at large, that frustrates me a bit is I find Christians aligning themselves and affiliating themselves more with a political party than the truth of God's word. And so we find ourselves promoting a political agenda or a political party rather than boldly proclaiming the truth of God's word. And so what happens? We end up so divided that we can't stand united to carry out the very assignment that God's given us as a nation. So you need to embrace your role as the priest to intercede. Embrace your role as a prophet, one who, 
who's called to speak truth. And I, I think thirdly, our responsibility is this, to practically live out the gospel. Practically live out the gospel. In other words, let me say it like this, to practically live the life of Jesus. To practically live the love of Jesus. That the world would see the reality of Christ in our lives by how we love. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, listen to the words that Jesus said. He says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. That they could see the reality of the gospel working out in your life. That they could see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now again, not that we shouldn't cast a vote. I think you should cast a vote. Not that we shouldn't allow our voice to be heard. I think your voice should be heard. But personally, my own conviction is the most effective way that we can impact our nation is by practically living out the gospel message. By practically living out the life of Jesus. Let me ask you this question. This is hypothetical. Um, But what do you think might happen if the body of Christ at large, not just Grace Covenant, but the body of Christ were were to come together and say, we're not going to have a child that's orphaned today. We're going to make sure that every child is adopted into a healthy family. What if the church united said, hey, having people go without food, that is unacceptable. We're going to solve that problem. The church. What what if the church got together and we got united and said, you know, human trafficking is absolutely unacceptable. That someone would be sowed, that their body would be sowed. That is absolutely unacceptable. We're going to unite and we're going to solve that problem. Why? Because of the reality of Christ in our lives. What might happen if the church came together and we said, hey, individuals addicted to a substance that's destroying their lives. That's not acceptable. Let's come together and let's figure this out. Let's represent. Christ to our world. Listen, this is what I believe. If we begin to practically live out the gospel, what happens is our culture is transformed. Our government is transformed. Our country is transformed. Why? Because the church simply is living out the church. Practically. Practically live out the gospel message. I believe change happens when individuals embrace responsibility. Individuals. Now we're down to you. To me. When individuals are willing to step up and say, hey, I'll be the priest. I'll intercede. I'll stand in the gap on behalf of our nation. I'll intercede for our leaders. When someone steps up and says, hey, I'll take responsibility. I'll be the prophet. I'll speak courageously the truth of God's word in a loving way, but an uncompromising way. When you as an individual say, hey, I, I'm going to go find a need and meet that need. I, I mean, read the, man, read the gospel. That's what Jesus did. Really simple. He went and he found a need and he met the need. And someone's life was transformed. So how do we, how do we impact our nation? I, I believe it's one life at a time. As we as a church simply and practically live out the gospel message. So what's the role of the church in relation to government and politics? Again, I think it's be the priest, pray, be the prophet, speak truth, and practically live out the gospel. Just be Jesus in your neighborhood, in your workplace. 
And in that, what we began to see, a nation change. I know that you say, my pastor, that's over. I know it's, it's simple, but it's the way that we, one life at a time, begin to see people change. Because again, I bring you back to this. Listen, you cannot legislate, legislate morality. We cannot craft enough government that's going to transform a human heart. Only Jesus can do that. And it's Jesus that has equipped you and empowered you in this time, in this season, in this nation to be his representative. And that's how we get to a nation that's forever changed. I want to leave you this one with a true story that, that Chip Ingram tells in his book, Culture Shock. Stories about a, a man by the name David who um, happens to be Chinese a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Well, David came over to the States to finish his educational process. And as he was in the States, he and Chip Ingram became close friends. So then David graduates from college. He goes back to China and gets a job. And through a process of time, he becomes the CEO of a major corporation in the country of China, communist China. And he's a committed follower of Jesus Christ. So Chip and David were having a conversation, and Chip asked this question. He said, David, how can you you be a committed follower of Christ in a land where Christians are persecuted? How can you be a committed follower of Christ in the midst of the reality of what's happening in your nation? I want you to listen to what David said. So simple. David said, when Christians live like Christians, and we're the very best citizens, it's amazing the favor God gives us with the government. When Christians live like Christians. Amazing how God works for our good. So may we, may we as followers of Christ represent Jesus well as we embrace the political process. Listen, you're called to be a citizen in this land. Embrace the political process. And may we be known by our love as we stand for righteousness in our nation. And may we not be known as as Republicans or Democrats. But may we be known as committed followers of Jesus Christ. Seeing the kingdom of God established in the present reality of the kingdom of this world. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning for the truth and counsel of your word. God, I thank you for how you've blessed our nation. Lord, we acknowledge, God, that the nation we live in is great, God, because of your grace and your favor upon this nation. And because of men that you directed. Lord, if we go back and read in history, it's very clear. Our our founding fathers looked to you and the truth of your word. And out of that, they founded the format of the government we have that's directing the process today. So, God, we thank you for that. We don't take any of that for granted. But Lord, as well, we also, Lord, as we look at our own lives and we think about our responsibility as citizens in this nation, Lord, I think we have to repent. God, forgive us. Forgive me. I pray, Lord, for areas that we've not, Lord, we've not embraced our responsibility. Lord, we've we've whined instead of praying. We've stuck our head in the sand rather than, than courageously speaking, Lord, the truth of your word. Lord, forgive us in ways, Lord, where we Lord, we saw a need. And rather than meeting the need, we kind of walked on the other side because we didn't want to be inconvenienced by the reality of the situation that was before us. And God, we've not represented you well. Forgive us, I pray. 
God, we desperately need you in our lives and in our land. That's what we know today. Holy Spirit, help us to represent Jesus well in the reality of the present government that we live in. And Lord, may our neighbors, may individuals at work, may folks here in our community, may they see the reality of Christ in us as we're embracing our responsibilities as citizens in this nation. And Lord, finally, as your word directs, Lord, today we do pray for those in authority over us. Oh, we pray for our president today, Barack Obama. We pray for senators and representatives and Supreme Court justices. And we pray for our governor, Pat McCrory. Lord, for our state leaders. Lord, we ask that you give these men and women wisdom and insight, courage, and Lord, conviction to truth as they lead in our land. Lord, may they lead well bringing honor to you. And Lord, for for leaders in the political process today who don't know you as Lord and Savior, God, I ask by, by your Spirit, would you bring people into their path that would plant the seed of the gospel in their lives? And Lord, may they be aware of, God, today their great need for you. And Lord, beyond that today, God, we ask that you would raise up Daniels. Daniels in our government today, men and women who, Lord, would be willing to lead well to speak courageously in the process of our government. Lord, again, we thank you for your grace to us in this nation. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.